What's up, Faith Church? How many of y'all's dancing to that music as it's going on? You're just like, that's what I, I can't, it's so dark, you can probably see me, but I just like, you get into it. Well, welcome to Faith Church, like Ty said. My name's Adam, I'm the executive pastor here, and so glad to have all of you in the house with us. Everybody who is watching in Lawrenceburg, Florence, put your hands together. They can hear you, I promise. Lawrenceburg, we love you guys. Everybody at our Shoals campus watching from Pastor Ryan's house. Love all of you guys. Can't wait to see what God's going to do in 2022 through our Shoals campus. Man, what a week we have had. Is anybody like still trying to get your breath from all that's happened this past week? Right? Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Anybody brave enough to step on the scales after Thanksgiving yet? Anybody like you? No? Me either. Tomorrow's my day. Tomorrow I'm going to see what damage has been done. And I know I got a few weeks to kind of repair some of that damage before we just redo it all over again at Christmas time. So tomorrow we'll take inventory of the damage, but I have no idea how bad I was, but I promise you it was not good for me. Any Black Friday shoppers? Anybody? A few of you. Okay. So I didn't know if Black Friday was a thing anymore because, you know, it's all moved online now, but I miss the days where you could go watch middle-aged women fight over bedsheets. I miss that. <laughs> I do. Like I used to, I would go. I would be out all night. It was amazing. I didn't care to buy anything because I'm a cheap skate. But I loved watching other people fight over useless items that they could have paid $15 for additionally the day before, and you could have slept in. Um, but Black Friday, I didn't know if that was still a thing or not, right? I'm more the Cyber Monday guy. Now I sit in the warmth of my own house and just order it, and Amazon brings it in two days. Um, can't talk about the weekend. I'm sorry. It was rivalry weekend in college football. Anybody? Yeah. See, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I am an Alabama fan, and we won, but am I the only one that don't feel like it? It don't feel like we won. I feel like we just survived. We escaped, and we just want to pretend it didn't happen, and let's move on. So, I'm sorry. We get to say it. You get one time a year that I'll let you say it as loud and proud, but if you want to get it, you get your two words. On three, one, two, three. There it is. Man, I would have given the same opportunity to the other side had y'all taken it, but man... Y'all humbled us, if we weren't already humble, because we're not very good this year. But can't just stop with Alabama and Auburn. There were a lot of rivalry games yesterday. In fact, I wasn't even scheduled to preach today until the Ohio State-Michigan game yesterday. And, and Pastor Steve called me. He's like, I just can't. I can't do it. You got to go. I'm kidding. He didn't do that. But it was a rough day if you were in Ohio. Somehow we have a ton of Ohio State fans here. I think Pastor Steve just recruits them in somehow, so that was a tough day. I even stayed up late last night watching Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I don't know why, but it's rivalry weekend. What a weekend of college football it was, but today we get to be in church. Come on, somebody. We are closing out a series, but before I jump into that, I want to tag team real quick something that Ty said, um, that next week, our capstone offering, I cannot encourage you guys enough to get on board, to participate and be a giver. I know we try to share with you guys every single week what what God's doing through your generosity in our Kingdom Builders partners and, and through that generosity initiative. But man, I've, I've been able to put boots on the ground. I've seen what our partners do. I've gotten to experience it firsthand. And how many of you, like, you want your life to count? Like, you want to make a difference. You want to know that you've made an impact on this world. If that's you, then here's what I promise. 
If you're a giver here at Faith Church, you're making a difference. You can lay your head on your pillow at night and know this world is a better place. You're changing lives. You're impacting eternity because you're a giver to this house. So next week, the capstone offering, continue to be praying about what God would have you to do through that. And I promise you, we're gonna share the results of it, but God is gonna use every single obedient heart in this house to make an impact for his kingdom. Well, today we are closing out a series that we have been in this entire month called No November, because there's some things in our life as Christ followers, as people who are trying to accomplish the plans and purposes of God, there's some things we just have to learn to say no to, right? And saying no can be a difficult thing. Today, we're going to talk about something that none of us like. We don't want to talk about, we like trying to sweep it under the rug when we can, but we're going to talk about an F word, and it's a bad one. But it's one that we got to talk about, especially in the church world. And today, we're going to learn how to say no to failure. Failure, right? That even, just saying it stings a little bit, failure, right? You've probably heard of some, some pretty famous failures throughout history, right? There was one um, young budding journalist that um, had spent his entire life from an early age. He wanted to be a storyteller. He wanted to be a writer. And he had kind of set the trajectory of his life on this course. And he, he finally graduated. He got a job at his first newspaper, but... Um, ultimately, he got fired. That's a fail, right? Anybody ever been fired? You don't have to raise your hands. He got fired because his newspaper editor told him that he lacked creativity and he lacked inspiration and that he would never make it as a storyteller, as a writer. Um, thankfully, this gentleman didn't stop with that first failure because he ended up turning out to be um, none other than Walt Disney. Anybody ever heard of him? Yep, the writer who lacked creativity and inspiration somehow ended up creating his own world that we all still know and love to this day. There's another famous failure. He was a a young filmmaker. He wanted to tell stories, but he didn't want to write the stories. He wanted to tell them through through motion picture, but but he was a failure because he, he attempted to get into film school. If you want to make movies, that's what you at least did back then. Now you just get a YouTube channel, right? But back then, like you, he wanted to be a director. He wanted to tell stories. So he applied for film school, and, and he got rejected. No, you're not good enough. You can't get in. So he, he wasn't ready to give up, so he applied again. No, fail, can't get in, not good enough. He was diligent, though. He wasn't going to give up. He applied again, like, I want to be a director. I want to tell stories. No, rejected, can't get in. You're a failure. Thankfully, this guy just kept pursuing those dreams because without this guy. Anybody heard of Steven Spielberg? We wouldn't have Jaws or or E.T. or Indiana Jones or Saving Private Ryan or what? Imagine what life would have been like had we not had this famous failure, Steven Spielberg. Anybody, I'm just like for my own, I've had to apply to college, thankfully did get accepted, but anybody get rejected three times? It's, I think I would have just like, you know what, I'm going to have to find a different career path. This isn't working. There was another group. It was a famous failure. They, um, four young guys that decided they wanted, to, they wanted to make music. They wanted to be rock stars. Started a little band in their garage, right? Started playing and went to an audition trying to get a record deal. And as they auditioned for this, this record label, the record executive told them that they weren't good enough said, you have no future in show business because guitar groups are a thing of the past. You'll never make it, and they cut them. 
Thankfully, they didn't stop because they went on to sell 1.6 billion singles in the United States alone and over 600 million albums worldwide, the greatest band of all time. Anybody ever heard of the Beatles? Can you imagine being the record executive that turned them down, right? You're not good enough. You'll never make it in show business. Maybe he still had a job after that. I don't know. They were a failure, but he was definitely a failure, right? Failure is one of those things in our society that's absolutely inevitable. It happens to all of us. None of us get out of life without being a failure at some point in something. I want to ask you this question. It can be a little challenging if you really take it to heart and really think about your answer. Lawrenceburg, Shoals, Florence, let me ask you this. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If God like showed up in your bedroom tonight and he gave you one free pass that whatever you do with this pass, whatever endeavor you start, whatever goal you set, whatever it is, 100% chance it's gonna succeed. What would you do? That's a challenging question to ask yourself. Maybe we ask it a little differently. Maybe we ask the question, how many of us in the room, how many of us online, how many of you have ever not done something because you were afraid you would fail? Anybody? Just me? Cool. I can preach to myself. <laughs> Failure is something that we, we all deal with, we all fight through. Psychologists and sociologists have actually done extensive studies on this throughout the years, and they've, they've come to terms with the understanding that we have a cultural fear of failure. How many of you in the room, by show of hands, any business owners in the house? Like you've started a business, you run your own business? Few, few, see you, see you. One thing psychologists and, and business researchers have noticed over the last several years is that specifically among the millennial population, those of us who are 25 to 40, um, what they're seeing is there's a stark decline in the number of entrepreneurs in the millennial demographic. Millennials are starting fewer and fewer businesses. And so researchers started trying to figure out why are millennials not becoming entrepreneurs? Why are they not starting businesses? And Forbes magazine did a study and they figured out that 41% of millennials say the biggest obstacle to them starting a business is the fear of failure. What if it doesn't succeed? What if I start the business and I lose money? Right? What if everybody laughs at me? What if I don't make it? And that fear is so real that 41% of millennials that said they would start a business have decided, you know what, it's not worth it. And instead they choose the safe route. And what you're seeing in the millennial population is their, their pathway to success, at least in terms of business, is they would rather go work for another company and climb the corporate ladder than go out on their own as entrepreneurs just to see, could I make it on my own? It doesn't just stop there, however, with, with the millennials. You can actually go all the way down to the youngest of our population. I actually saw that Psychology Today did a, did a research study on, on children in our day. And they ended up coining the phrase, they said that we have a childhood epidemic on our hands when we speak of the fear of failure in kids today. What they're seeing is that, that kids, six, seven, eight-year-olds, are afraid to try new things. They're afraid to take the dance class, afraid to try the music lessons. They're afraid to try out for the sports team. Teachers 
are coming out, educators saying they're seeing anxiety and stress levels in kids through the roof because kids are scared to death to take tests because they're afraid they're going to fail. Why are we dealing as a culture with this issue failure in such a way? And I think the key, the truth is that society, society sells us this lie that failure is fatal. That if you fail, when you fail, that there's no coming back from it. That somehow we've bought into this belief that failure is, is almost an unforgivable sin. Many of you know failures in your own life. Many of you know people who have failed, and they've, they've made some big mistakes, and it's cost them dearly. And how many of you see that and you think, man, what if? In fact, when you go all the way back and you, you talk about this unforgivable sin, when you go look at the original Greek and Hebrew text, what the word sin means, literally means to miss the mark. It means to fail. It was an archery term that meant you were aiming at a target, you took your shot, and you missed, fell short. You didn't hit the bullseye, you didn't accomplish the goal. That was sin. That was the word that was used in the original text. It was literally to fail. That's what it means. The problem when we talk about failure is that there's two options with failure. Failure will define you or it will refine you. There's only two options with failure. How many of you ever heard or you've told somebody or you've told your kids, you've heard somebody say, hey, you make sure you learn from your mistakes. Everybody heard that? Learn from your mistakes. Do you know the truth is that we always learn from our mistakes. Failure, real failure, will never leave you the same as you were before. It's not designed to do so. You always learn from your mistakes. The problem is, what do you learn? When you look at the mistakes that you've made, what do you pick up? You see this all the time in parenting. And this is kind of a little soapbox. I'm going to like step up on it, and then I'll get back off in a second. But how many parents are in the room? Raise your hands. Let me see them loud and proud. Yep. Lot, most of us, okay? At least like 80% of you just raised your hands. Your kids mess up. Your kids fall short. Your kids sin. Your kids fail. Here's what I know, and we see it every single day. Your kids are learning from their mistakes. But if you're one of those parents that are really good at, at playing Superman or Superwoman, and you want to swoop in and save the day so that your kids never have to experience pain or discomfort, your kids never have to, to know what the ramifications of those mistakes are, guess what your kid's learning? They're learning that there are no true consequences to failure. Yeah, if I mess up, mom and dad come in and save the day. I don't, I'm okay. That can be good on one hand. We want what's best for our kids. We, we don't want them to experience that pain and that, that hurt that comes with failure. The problem is that mom and dad won't always be there, but failure will. And if you don't let your kids experience the consequence of failure, if you don't let them understand and learn how you deal with failure when they're under your care, then one day they're going to get out and try to be contributing members of society, and the rest of us are going to have to deal with the ramifications of their failure because they never understood. You're going to learn from your mistakes. Your failure will define your life or it will refine your life. 
And the thing that makes the difference is what perspective you have of that failure. How do you see the failure in your life? The good news, specifically as we look from a scriptural context, when we talk about Jesus, we get a really good view of his perspective on failure. Because the people that Jesus chose to spend most of his life with, the closest group of friends and followers that he had, they were a group of failures. They were The disciples, as you read through the Gospels, they were really good at failing over and over and over again. I think that's why Jesus chose them, so that we could read their stories and that we could see ourselves through them. Even before Jesus met them, when you go all the way back to the first time Jesus meets these guys, right? He's choosing this group of 12, these closest men who are going to do ministry with him throughout his, his time here on this earth. And do you know where he finds the disciples, these people who are going to do ministry with? Guess what they're not doing? They're not doing ministry. They're in the marketplace. They're working. Do you know the reason they were working? When you go back and study the history of the first century, what would have happened in the lives of these young boys if we take Peter and James and John and we take these disciples and we back them all the way up to, to young kids, boys in the first century would have been educated up until the age of 12. Once they got to the age of 12, there was a fork in the road. The best, the brightest, those who had passed all the tests, those who were looked at as the most contributing members, the smartest most well-to-do kids, they got sent on one path. They stayed in the synagogues. They became the elite. They became the religious leaders. They were educated past the age of 12. Those boys who didn't make the cut, who had failed the test, who didn't show the, the promise of this other group, they were sent on another road, and they were sent back to mom and dad to learn a trade. They were sent to be an apprentice from, from some other man or woman in their community so that they could learn a different route. And so it's interesting when Jesus comes and meets these disciples, they've already missed the cut before they ever even heard the name Jesus. They'd already missed the mark. And as you follow their life throughout their time with Jesus, what you see is over and over again. They failed to cast out demons. They failed to follow the simple instructions of Jesus. They followed, right, but they failed. One of them who was kind of the, the chief failure of the bunch, he was failure's finest. His name was Simon, right? We know him as Peter. Peter was really good at failing. In fact, he almost kind of became known for his failures. Jesus would one day say that you're the rock. You're the one on which I will build my church. But I think one of the reasons he called him the rock was because Peter was so hard-headed and stubborn, always doing the wrong thing. But God saw something in Peter and today, I want to take a look at his story because I think there's some things that we can see in Peter that may impact how you and I live our lives. So if you're following along, if you've got your Bibles, you can follow with me. I'm going to pick up in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to see how Peter, who would one day be a great leader, right? How did things start for this man? Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we're told that one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Now, what do you do? Like, if you were just walking, right, and you were like been teaching and you saw two empty boats, anybody in here would just have the thought, I'm gonna get in that? 
Like you don't see that he asked permission. He just saw a boat and he got in it. That was Jesus. He was, a, he was cool. I like Jesus. Jesus gets in this boat and then we're told he asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water so that he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. But master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others who were with him. Such an interesting story. I've always found this so fascinating that first off, we see a failed fisherman. Peter had, had set out to try to catch some fish and we're told his boat was empty. He didn't catch any fish. If you're a fisherman that doesn't catch fish, what are you? You're a failure, right? Some of you say you're a fisherman because y'all do that a lot, right? Sit out there and just, you don't catch fish, but you're a fisherman. Peter had already failed. He didn't catch any fish. And this carpenter comes in who's preaching and teaching. He tells this fisherman how to do his job. Anybody that doesn't do your job ever told you how to do your job? That's kind of how Peter responded. When you read the story here, it looks like it's just one sentence to the next, but based on how this story continues to go, you can kind of infer a little bit that Peter kind of fought with Jesus a little bit. He had an issue. He didn't just say, push your boat out, and him say, well, we didn't catch anything, but okay. There was some struggle here. There was some strain. Peter argued with Jesus a little bit. He didn't trust him. He didn't, he didn't really want to do it, but eventually he gives in. Like, okay, if you say so, carpenter. We'll do it your way. We'll do what you say. And eventually they were so blown away at the catch that it almost sank two boats. Such a wild story to me. But as you follow along, we can learn so much from the life of Peter because just like Peter, you and I have goals. We have dreams. We have apparate. Like we are, we are seeking success. And regardless of who you are, where you're from, there's something that you would deem success. There's something in your life that you're chasing. You are giving your life to something right now. Maybe a lot, maybe a little, but you're, you're chasing after some dreams. You've got some goals in your life. You, you have a preconceived notion of what is success for you. Maybe it's a certain job. Maybe it's a certain income. Maybe it's trying to get into a certain school. Maybe it's making a certain team. Maybe it's having kids, seeing those kids grow up and succeed, and that's what you're pouring yourself into because I want to see this child. I want to see them get this scholarship. I want to see them go to this school. I want to see them at Harvard. I want to see them at West Point. Like that, that's success for you. But as you begin down this path and you're on this journey of life chasing success, the inevitable will happen. And failure will come knocking at your door and it will jump in the path like a roadblock trying to stop you from getting to where you're going. Failure will happen. And if you haven't experienced failure lately, guess what's coming your way? Failure. 
The problem and what we see when we look at that story in Peter is that Peter saw a roadblock of failure. He messed up. He didn't catch any fish. He was a failed fisherman. He didn't trust Jesus when Jesus told him to do something. He pushed back a little bit. And when he finally gave in, he was so blown away at the result of what listening and doing what Jesus told him to do, he was so let down that he told Jesus, leave me. I'm not even worthy to follow you. I'm so sinful. I'm such a failure. I just need you to go on because I can't, I can't follow you, Jesus. Peter saw his failure as a dead end on the road to get him to where he wanted to go. But the amazing thing at least when you follow the story of Jesus, is that you see with Jesus, there's no such thing as a dead end. Jesus is a a resurrection specialist, if you didn't know that. Jesus is, he kind of special, he's sort of known for taking dead things and, and bringing them back to life. And in Peter's life, what he thought was a roadblock that was going to end his journey in following Jesus, even before it began, Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 that's not going to be the end of your story. Yeah, you failed. Yeah, you fell short. But that's not the end because there is no such thing as a dead end in Jesus. See, what Peter learned, what Peter experienced, is maybe something that you and I go through ourselves, is that far too often our identity is defined by our activity. See, the biggest problem with failure is it seeks to to take a verb and make it a noun. It tries to take what you did and try to make it who you are. Think about it. Anytime you meet somebody new, typically the very first question you ask is, what's your name? Hey, I'm Adam, what's your name? And you get their name. Then typically there's a couple questions that are gonna follow. And maybe depending on kind of where you're at, at least for me, I'm probably gonna get your name first. I wanna know where you're from Right, I'm trying to find some common ground. You from Green Hill like me? If so, okay, we've got some common ground. And the third question for me, almost without fail, third question when you meet somebody new is what? What do you do? Because you see, we take a person's activity and we sort of assign that to their identity. Oh, you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're an engineer, you're a business owner, you're a pastor. You take that and that, that activity becomes their identity. The problem becomes when you take that failure and all of a sudden you internalize the failures and the struggles that you experience in your life and you go from, from I'm a mom, I'm a friend to I messed up, I dropped the ball, I went bankrupt, cheated on my spouse, right? gave in to that addiction and all of a sudden you cease being who God created you to be and all of a sudden you start seeing yourself through a different lens that society's trying to sell you and all of a sudden you start seeing yourself as I'm a failure. There's no coming back from that. It's over. It's a dead end. It's exactly what Peter saw when he realized the blessings that came from following Jesus, but at the same time he realized how sinful and broken and how messed up he was. And he tried to shortcut his destiny. He tried to end everything right there, but Jesus didn't take it. As we kind of follow on, the latter part of Luke chapter 5 on verse 10, we see that Jesus replies to Simon. Simon says, Jesus, leave me. I'm not worthy. I'm a failure. Jesus says, Simon, don't be afraid. See, the first thing he addresses is is Peter's fear. 
of failure. He says, Simon, don't be afraid. For from now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything they had and they followed Jesus. See, Jesus tells Peter, don't worry about your failure. Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you fell short. But that's not who you are. That's not the end of your story, right? A failure is an event. It's never a person, especially if you're a Christ follower, especially if you have Jesus on your side. Yes, you messed up, and you may have messed up so much that it cost you everything. But the one thing it'll never cost you if you belong to him is your relationship with him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never turn his back on you. You may have messed up and you may have failed, but you are not a failure. It is not a dead end for you. I want to show you a picture. I'm curious how many of you have ever seen this or are aware of what this is. Take a look. Back in 1991, anybody know what this is? Somebody's a house? It is kind of a house. Jurassic Park? <laughs> kind of, maybe. Yeah. It was about as successful as Jurassic Park. This is Biosphere 2. It was built in 1991, and Biosphere 2 is the largest closed ecological system ever built. It was designed by a group of scientists as basically like a feasibility study to try to figure out, could science recreate our atmosphere in a way that we could sustain life, specifically in outer space? If we made it to Mars, if we made it somewhere else that didn't have an atmosphere that could sustain the life that we have, could we build a closed system that could sustain life? And so within that bubble, there were, there were rivers, there was an ocean with a coral reef, there were deserts and wetlands, there were labs and workshops, everything in the perfect living conditions to sustain life. And so what this experiment did was it took eight scientists and it put them in the bubble, and it wanted to see, can they live? Can they make it? Eventually, what happened, and you can go read about it, is that Biosphere 2 is, is one of the biggest failures of science ever. There are a lot of reasons it failed. First, possibly and foremost, is that they tried to take eight people and put them in a bubble and expected that they would get along. That didn't happen. They did not get along. I think they were Alabama and Auburn fans. And they just, once a year, they just don't like each other, you know. But one of the biggest issues that they ran into with Biosphere 2 that they couldn't come back from is they started running into problems with the trees. Now again, perfect living conditions. It's the right temperature, right humidity, everything is perfect. But if you're a tree, right, like imagine yourself as a tree, what's the number one enemy of a tree in our world? Wind, right? Like wind takes trees down. You live in Alabama or you live in Tennessee, like we know what happens when winds come through. Straight line winds, tornadoes, like trees fall all the time. Wind is the enemy of the tree. The thing they ran into in Biosphere 2 was guess what didn't exist? There's no wind, they're a bubble. There was no wind. And so what was happening is these trees in Biosphere 2 were growing fast and they were growing big, but randomly and just almost unpredictably, what was happening were the trees were falling over. No wind, no storms, beautiful, perfect conditions, but a big old tree just falls. It, the trees couldn't sustain life. 
And guess what you have to have in a closed system if you want to be able to breathe? Trees. As the scientists started trying to figure out what's happening to the trees, what, what's going on in Biosphere 2 that the trees keep falling over, what they found was that our world, it was the risk of failure. It was the outside stress and strain of the wind. It was the storms of life that force a tree's roots to grow deep. If the tree's roots don't grow deep, it doesn't have anything to anchor itself so that when the storms come and when it keeps growing, there's nothing to hold it steady. It was the lack of wind. There was no risk of failure in Biosphere 2. And so what happened were eventually as the trees continued to mature and they continued to grow, at some point they didn't have the root structure capable of sustaining the growth and they would just fall over. And Biosphere 2 failed because without trees there's no oxygen. And without oxygen there can be no people. What they learned is that, that the risk of failure, it needed the stress, it needed the struggle. So we don't like it. We don't want it. But what you need to understand is that your failures fuel your future. Your failures, those are the things in your life that cause you to grow, that cause you to mature, that cause you to overcome those obstacles in your life, right? That you need to understand that those obstacles that you face, the failure that you have to deal with, it's not just an obstacle, but it's an opportunity to learn. We don't like being told we're wrong. We don't like failing. We don't like hearing those things. But guess what? You know the thing that will determine whether you're defined by failure or refined by failure? Is what do you do with the failure when it happens? How do you see it? You gotta learn to face the failure. As you continue to follow the story of Jesus, his ministry continued to grow. The crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger as he began teaching and the disciples began following. But there comes a point in the ministry of Jesus where the crowds liked the teaching at first and so they kept getting bigger and bigger. But at some point, Jesus' teaching started kind of getting difficult to hear. They understood what it would really cost to follow Jesus. And so there's this point where, where the followers start going away. And his, his crowd becomes less and less and less. And it it gets to the point that Jesus one day turns to his closest followers, his disciples, and he looks at them and he asks the question. He says, are you going to leave too? Everybody else is leaving me. You going to leave too? And we get a glimpse of the growth in Peter when we see Peter's response to that question from Jesus. It's in John chapter 6. Are y'all going to leave too? And Simon Peter replies, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. See, there was something that changed in the heart of Peter. This fisherman that was so quick to give up, to see a dead end on the backside of his failure, all of a sudden he wasn't, he wasn't willing to give up anymore. It's like, no, Jesus, we're not going anywhere. We know who you are. We know you're the giver of life. We're here. We see in the life of Peter, we see growth, maturity. We see the rock. But guess what? It'd be, it'd be like the perfect Disney story 
if that was Peter's ending, right? This guy that was so quick to tuck tail and run and leave me, Jesus, I'm not worthy. Follow his story in the end. No, Jesus, we're not giving up. I got your back. We, we're not going anywhere. And the rolling credits end. But see, that's not the end of Peter's story either. In fact, not too much longer after that, Peter would experience his biggest failure yet. For when Jesus was being hung and crucified, this disciple that said, we're not going anywhere, we'll never leave you. Peter's the very one that denied him three times. I don't even know that man. Peter, once again, experienced failure. But he learned something in the the time he spent with Jesus. He learned something in that growth is that that failure is never final. And the same disciple that tried to quit, that didn't quit, that denied him, he would be the one in the book of Acts that would preach the very first sermon. They would see thousands of people give their hearts to Christ. He would be the one on the church that we all are part of today. He was the one that started it all. But he understood that Jesus He redefined failure because he redefined success. I don't have time to go into it, but Jesus in Matthew chapter five, this sermon that has become very famous as the Beatitudes, Jesus said what real success is. And from our eyes, honestly, it kind of looks like failure. Jesus said that, that God blesses those, right? If God's blessing you, you're a success. God blesses those who are poor. The successful are poor. God blesses those, the successful. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. God blesses those, the successful are merciful. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, who work for peace. God blesses those, the successful are those who are persecuted for doing right. Matthew 5, 11, God blesses you. You're successful when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. See, true success is not measured by your lack of failure. It's measured by your faithfulness. When you fail, because you will, can you get past that failure and understand that it was just an obstacle in the road that you're traveling on to get you to the goal that God has set before you? See, as we close out this series today, we have to say no to failure because some of you are missing out on the call that God's placed in your life because you experienced failure at some point and you thought that was it. I'm disqualified. I'm done messed up, I missed out. It's time we say no to failure. Because God's not done with you yet. Your story's not finished. And you're going to fail. And you're going to learn. And you're going to fail. And hopefully you're going to learn. But that's growth. That's maturity. What would you do if you knew there was 0% chance of failure? 
If you answer that question with a pure heart, what that does is that gives you a glimpse into the passions that God's put on the inside of you. And there are ministries that need to be started. There are businesses that need to be started. God has things he wants to accomplish in your life, but you've been letting fear stop you from accomplishing those goals. If you're here in Lawrenceburg, I want you to raise your hand. If, what is it, if you know of something in your mind right now that's like, man, I want to accomplish this in my life, I want you to raise your hand. Like, man, I want to, I want to see that happen. Whatever it is, the question today is what's stopping you? What's stopping you from chasing that dream, from going after that goal? And if it's fear of failure, then today's the day to not let it hold you back anymore. Say no to failure. Let me pray for you. Father, God, we all deal with this internal struggle, this fear, God, that that society, God, that the enemy tries to put on us, that that our failures are fatal, that we can't come back from them, that I've messed up too big. God, maybe it's cost us our finances or our families. God, but thank you, Lord, that your grace and your mercy is new every morning, God, and that you never turn your back on us. That there's always new grace and there's new mercy when we fail and when we struggle, Father. And I pray that for every single person that can hear the sound of my voice, God, that you would give them renewed strength, renewed courage, to go after those dreams, to put it all on the line, to stop playing it safe and to risk it all, knowing, God, that it's not in their strength, but it's in yours. God, I speak in faith today, God, that dreams are gonna begin to come true, that goals will be reached, Father, that this world will be a better place because your followers are no longer living in fear, but we're moving forward in faith, and that's faith in you. In Jesus' name.